Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, Formula One is back in Montreal for the first time since 2019, and didn't it look glorious today? We were expecting the downpours, which they did get at the circuit, but just not when we were watching the action. And in free practice, while it was Max Verstappen who kicked off the action and... Uh, making his 150th Grand Prix start. He led the field in free practice too. Fernando Alonso on the pace, Sergio Perez, Charles Leclerc on the pace as well. We did see the Ferrari bouncing on the straights, that straight going down to uh, turn 13. It didn't look horrific, as bad as Baku. Uh, Hamilton did say in free practice too, though, that the car, the Mercedes, was undrivable. We're at another street circuit, and I'm delighted to be joined uh, tonight by uh, Matt Q, who was in Azerbaijan. So, Matt, welcome along to the podcast. If you can fill the listeners in on how Montreal is, it's, an, it's another street circuit, but you've just got back from Baku. In what ways is it similar, and in what ways is it different? Thanks for having me on, Martin, and uh, almost tear me up for uh, my journey from hell on the way back from uh, Baku, which is a fantastic country. But um, same but different is a frustrating answer about Montreal. And I think the way to look at it is um, 
free practice sector times where you've got Ferraris are looking really quick in sector one and sector two and the Red Bulls are doing a lot of their heavy lifting in the final sector which if you wind back to last Friday last Saturday in qualifying even it's exactly the same situation as where we were in Baku so you know you've got the complex uh, first and second sector which uh, particularly in in, uh, in Montreal is these sort of slower speed fiddly chicanes in Baku it was the 90 degree corners and what you're seeing there why the Ferrari is coming to the fore is because that Ferrari engine it particularly has sort of it has good uh, low down punch it's really firing the drivers out the corner and then uh, you get into the final sector which in Baku is out of turn 16 you're flat out through the you know they're called corners 17 and 18 but it's a flat out one and a half mile sprint to turn one the next breaking zone in Montreal it's much the same you come out of the hairpin and you've got two straights and a small chicane obviously with the Wall of Champions so that's turns 13 and 14 and so it's flat out flat out and you've got two things you're witnessing there which is this rebadged Honda engine it's top it does all it's sort of you know hard graft at top speed uh, which is why Verstappen consistently in the top sort of six in the, in the uh, speed traps and, and uh, the Ferraris are nowhere near and also Red Bull uh, uh, they have uh, although it's a circuit specific thing rather than sort of a general trend of the car they've got a low low drag setup and those two things are working together and it's why sort of Verstappen can um, keep it comfortable keep it within the limits in first and second sector and yet just annihilate sort of that that uh, final sector keep his foot planted and, and still uh, bolt to the top of the times as we saw in uh, both practice sessions uh, but both circuits a low downforce uh, interpretation because we saw Alpine with the barely there rear wing in Baku and again in at least in first practice um, Alonso doing pretty well in fact in, in FP2 as well coming in uh, in in fifth place so the Alpine going with that very low downforce setup which both drivers admitted was tough in the bendy bits in Baku, but gave them that kind of invincibility cloak of just not being able to be passed in Azerbaijan. So, but are we talking sort of similar aero packages here this weekend? Yeah, it's it's a slimline stuff. So um, we get at the start of weekend, uh, at the start of a weekend, a sort of breakdown as as per the new 2020 sort of media regulations, and it's the teams doing sort of a, you know, uh, uh, in layman's terms, an idiot's guide to what updates they bought. And uh, what we're saying here is that a lot of teams are doing sort of minor upgrades to rear wings, beam wings, but not, but they, these are minor upgrades that will last rather than what we usually get is circuit-specific upgrades. And the fact we're not having circuit-specific ones uh, just for Montreal is because they've been effectively carried over from Baku. So, you know, it's a complicated way and we're saying they've carried over the setup because it's it's low downforce. And again, while you're seeing that that slim line wing on, on the Alpine, I mean, if I if I think back to the start of the year, I think I was on this podcast, uh, Martin, and, and you were quizzing us and, and I was really not very flattering about the Alpines. And I sort of maintained that in the early part of the season. You know, that was from watching them trackside and seeing their times at twisty Barcelona and sort of fiddly Bahrain. But now sort of uh, whack, whack the wings as low they'll go and look at them bolting at the top of the time so I was hastily doing some number crunching um, ahead of appearing on this podcast and uh, Alonso he was on the hard tire and his, his, it's not just his sort of headline fifth in, in FP2 but his his race pace was sort of levelling out on uh, 1 minute 18.2 which is uh, uh, what what is that that's that's the third fastest driver which in itself is pretty remarkable and then add in the fact that he was on the hard tyres so although Pirelli haven't released their offset yet you, you can bank on them being about sort of half a second to 0.8 of a second anywhere in that region behind behind the favoured soft tire on a quality lap so uh his his sort of pace it looks sustained 
I don't have the data that you do, but that's why you do your job, and I'm asking the questions. Am I right in thinking? Well, it's that- been it's been some quick adding up, Martin. It should come, and it should come with the caveat to all <laughs> listeners that uh, my my maths AS. Uh, uh, exams were considered unworthy of a grade by the exam board, so there might be some rounding errors in there. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that Verstappen was quickest on race pace, did a one seventeen nine at the end of that 15 or 16 uh, lap race simulation? So Verstappen looking very quick on the race pace. Uh, Lonzo quick, you mentioned. Russell was doing okay. Leclerc uh, did pretty well. Uh, but Leclerc was doing all his runs on the... the uh, the softer tyres and Science did his 16 laps on the you know the harder compound or the medium compound. Um, so what are Ferrari doing there with splitting their uh, their practice strategies? It's a bit of a different strategy actually to how they and Red Bull in fact approached Baku, which is they put one driver on the medium compound and one driver on the on the soft compound. So you had the divergence. Ferrari have sort of gone a bit off piste here, and they they had uh, both both drivers on the soft early on, which you know is a bit of an odd one because there's there's two things to bear in mind. One soft soft tire is always geared towards qualifying that's that's the area Ferrari seems to have licked um but then again you know why focus on race pace if your engine isn't going to last the distance of the race you might you might argue uh and the other the other caveat is to add it was <laughs> the the normal caveats you have in in free practice is that you don't know about engine modes you don't know about fuel loads and we have sort of like a third element this time which is we don't really know what Leclerc's engine is doing so uh he's got um a new internal combustion engine because all the components that were carried over from, uh, or all the components that went popping back here were a complete write-off. But he's got a turbocharger, and just to sort of, he's got a turbocharger that's already been used this season. So so far, we haven't got it confirmed that he will uh, take a grid penalty because he's still on the limit of uh, the three turbochargers that are his allocation. So that suggests to me that Baku the turbocharger was destroyed and that was already a new one from Spain because Spain, they still haven't quite divulged the true nature of that failure, but it wiped out the turbo. So if this is his third one, it means it has to be a pre-Miami spec when they upgraded the engine. So if it's a pre-Miami spec and a third one, sort of some roundabout numbers is that's probably about five races old, that that turbocharger. So, um, you know, as much as these things are designed to last, it's not going to be sort of uh, giving its full performance at another power-dependent track. So, to come back to what I was saying, we don't know quite what a turbo is doing, quite what a fuel is doing. So, that we're seeing, you know, Ferrari do their do their sort of longer runs on a soft tyre and they're still what? Uh, I've got Leclerc's average lap, taking out a couple of the anomalies. I've got them about an 184 uh, 1 minute 18.4 second that's uh, what three tenths down on what Verstappen was doing on the medium the same as what Perez was doing on the medium so as, you know you might have this offset which would uh, potentially at the moment put Ferrari, uh, Ferrari about six tenths down on, on Red Bull which is a bit complicated a bit of a round round of houses sort of a way of explaining it but in summary uh, not all that much reason to be optimistic, I think, if you're a Ferrari fan, certainly on, you know, the initial learnings from uh, free practice too. And I'm sure uh, uh, as well, a quick plug, that's what our colleague Alex Kalinorkas will be sort of racing through now, going through all the numbers and you'll be able to read that analysis and, and sort of he can softly predict or softly uh, point you in a direction of who he thinks the race win will be. And you can read that on uh, Saturday before qualifying. Absolutely. Make sure you do check out autosport.com and the plus section 
for our subscribers where we put some of the finest uh, long-form motorsport writing in the world. Yuki Tsunoda will start the Canadian Grand Prix from the back of the grid after taking an entirely new power unit for the weekends, encountering a spate of engine problems over the opening uh, races of the season, left him on the verge of a penalty and ahead of Montreal, uh, his AlphaTauri team electing to break the season's limit. Uh, an all-new Red Bull components package for the weekend, that puts him over his limit of internal combustion engine, turbocharger and MGUH and K uh, and so he'll be starting from the rear. We know that already, but because of the order in which penalties are applied, if Leclerc then uh, now Ferrari uh, say, actually, we're going to change some components, that potential 10-place grid drop could be a potential back of the grid, which would put him at the back of the grid unless anybody else makes subsequent changes. So in terms of the actual finishing order of free practice two, in terms of the uh, the quick laps, the kind of the quality pace, again, you don't know, big caveat, we don't know uh, the engine modes, but Max Verstappen uh, with a 114.1, Charles Leclerc not far behind uh, with a 114.20, uh, Carlos Sainz uh, with a 114. 114- Three five two. Then Sebastian Vettel, who had a great a great Baku. Um, he, he needs a teammate to uh, to also score some points. Uh, but for now, uh, in fifth, followed by Fernando Alonso again. Very similar, as you say, very similar setup and and doing really well. Uh, followed by Pierre Gasly. So it's at the minute, it's it's the it kind of as you were really those drivers that were having a great time seven days ago, also repeating. George Russell uh, in seventh, Lando Norris in eighth, Daniel Ricciardo second, McLaren straight behind, and those two drivers seem a little bit more on par this weekend as well. And Esteban Ocon second, Alpine in tenth. So, um, what's your reading of the? quick laps that you saw uh, today. And actually, we saw some quicker laps in uh, the first session because everyone thought it was going to rain this afternoon. So it wasn't the kind of typical uh, two sessions. What's your reading? Yeah, usually you have sort of Verstappen playing at court at the start of the, at the, start of the session. You know, you're uh, cars close to his chest. I'm not coming out yet. Everyone crack on. You trip over each other on track and then they'll be out sometime in the, in the, in the, in the near future. I've got this in hand. I'm the champion. But no, everyone out. And like you say, it was, I think the weather radar, and certainly for FP1, only had it down as 20% chance of rain. But uh, it's one of those where you go by what you can see and that was a massive great clouds looming over. Uh, so, uh, and you can sort of feel it in the air. And I know for our colleagues on the ground, yesterday they got caught in somewhere between a, a, a downpour and a, and a typhoon I think it was built at so you know that the weather is changing out there so to get the most of the running uh, as for as for the one lap stuff so uh, Verstappen ended that uh, FP2 on a 1 minute 14.1 and Leclerc was on a 1 minute 14.2 and they were both set earlier on on the soft tyres similar sort of levels of track evolution so fairly comparable and so then it comes down to that 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 basically what I was saying earlier is what are the fuel levels doing? You know, you typically you'd leave something in, in reserve. You're trying to, again, keep your cars close to your chest. And secondly, how far wound down is the clerk's engine and the reason sort of want to labor on that point is not just because it's an old part but um i don't know whether it was shown depending on what coverage you were you're watching or which commentary stream you had but um he was asked to come out of the pits and, and warm up his tires and he pulled over the pit exit and he couldn't do a burnout and the, the team he, you know the driver asked team radio what's going on here and the radio reply is it's the turbo it's the turbo and i take that to mean we've turned it massively down rather than this one's about to go bang as well so you know what what these cars north of the thousand horsepower if he can't get the rear Pirellis to 
brake traction when he's dumping the clutch. That suggests to me that boost levels or whatever is really wound down. So the fact there's only a tenth of a second separating them, I almost want to say it's business as usual that, you know, you know, can we write the script already where it's a clerk gets another pole, fifth in a row, seventh of the season, uh, but it'll be Verstappen's race pace. And I think, you know, to throw it back to the penalties, which I know you touched on with, with Snowden, we're talking about with the, the old turbos and all, all of that good stuff, is that Leclerc has said pre-weekend in a, in a Friday press conference, this is a track where you can overtake and that Ferrari are up such up against it on their allocations. I'd be inclined to take all the hits and actually I'm going to I'm gonna further sort of canvas it by saying um, that on paper, this is a track that's Red Bull territory anyway because of those top speeds, because of a long track. Okay, they, they threw away the win in Spain and Monaco, but on paper, they were, they were Ferrari tracks and you sort of go, right, it's effective damage limitation for Baku and Montreal with the top speed. So, you know, on paper, Red Bull track, on paper, good overtraking attack. If it was up to me and I was a strategist, um, and I'd say, thank God I'm not, but Ferrari strategists I already cost them a one-two in Monaco. I'd, I'd, take, I'd take the hit on all the parts and, and send myself to the back of the grid for this one, I think. Lewis Hamilton in 13th uh, free practice to George Russell in 7th. I've seen some coverage this weekend, which said Lewis was taking a more difficult development path because he is the more experienced driver. And that, when I read that, because I'm old and cynical, I read that as that's the Hamilton PR machine going into overdrive to explain why he's so far behind his, you know, new teammate uh, to the team. Or I could just be being a complete idiot. And that is actually is the real reason, is that he is taking on the heavy lifting of the setup work and, and going in a different direction. But there's two teammates who, again, having different fortunes today. Can you shed any insight into why Russell and Hamilton are so far apart? Not really is the honest answer, and it's becoming one of the fascinating subplots, and it's also one of the most divisive that we see on social media or the comments, whether it's over driver ratings, is, you know, we've been ranking Russell and Hamilton fairly similarly, despite sort of a disparity in in results, and, you know, there's a few contributing reasons for that. If I just throw back to Baku, I, I, I gave them similar scores, because Russell did well, but had a very lonely race, Whereas Hamilton was coming from from behind and had to get his elbows out and overtake, and I, I thought that equalised him. But we're at this odd stage, and it's I suppose it's the, your read on it depends on how cynical you are, and I don't just mean you, Martin. I mean that for everyone. It's that Russell was saying, "Oh, there's nothing in it. It's just the way sort of the cookie has crumbled." Toto Wolff is saying, "There's nothing in it. It's just the way it's played out." And Hamilton's saying, "I've got no obvious deficits to Russell. It's just how it's played out." But we're now what? Uh, what's this, our eighth weekend? And there is that there is that gap. So is it a bit of saving face? I don't know. But obviously there is this gap that has opened up. I don't buy the stuff that Hamilton doesn't know how to drive a bad car and that Russell's dialed in because he's coming straight from Williams because we've seen what he's done in, you know, uh, the 2009 McLaren, even last year where, where the Mercedes, the rules were deliberately designed to sort of equalise Mercedes and Red Bull so I don't buy that but obviously the gap is opening up and then he did say as you're quite right he was going to get radical for for this session but I'm not really sure where they're left now because for FP1 Mercedes ran a new floor with sort of some cutouts in the back to sort of relieve the air pressure which is what is causing this porpoising this stalling and then for FP2 on Hamilton's side of the garage they go back to the old spec floor so that's not radical. That's conservative with a small C for me. And a couple of other things to note on that is, uh, you know, Mercedes 
are stuck between porpoising and bouncing. So we've had it where the airflow is attaching and uh, detaching. So the car's sort of jumping up at the, down at the rear. And you, what you can do to combat that is lock the car in place by whacking everything as stiff as you can, which means they're now bouncing because they're just clattering all over the curves. Which is why Hamilton was sort of so subdued and Ginger getting out of his car could it damaged his back. And now we're at a situation where Mercedes is going okay, we understand that we can raise the ride height and we'll lose performance, but it'll make things more drivable. But we've run out of rear ride height now. And so with the FIA technical directive coming in, I, and and the fact that even this weekend we've got James Allison in the Mercedes garage, which is certainly the first time we've seen him this season, you know, the fact that the big boss is going in, it's, and, and there's still no answer on whether we stick with this car concept or, or, or you know, rethink everything for next season. And yes, there's some optimism about Silverstone and it's a track that might suit Mercedes because it's more sort of the the lower speed and and the corners and it's a purpose-built track, not street track, less bumps. But it's it's, it's almost looking like almost a dead end season is it is it too early to say that I, I i don't know it's you know whether they run stiff, whether they run low, whether they run soft, whether they run high, they've got problems and you know, obviously they work for the middle ground and that's not any good for them either. Yeah, and uh, Christian Horner was on Sky. What a surprise. Uh, and, and he actually, whether you like Red Bull or not, whether you like uh, the way that they go racing or not, you know, whoever you're a fan of, I think if you are adult and grown up about it, um, and even if you're not Red Bull's biggest fan, Christian's point being, we were given a set of rules. Some of the teams had some solutions, some had others, and now those that didn't hit their targets are asking for um, some uh, some different treatment. So for our listeners of the podcast who may not have been online or, or reading about this, yesterday, on Thursday, the FIA issued a technical directive, so we're not changing any rules yet, but they, they indicated a clampdown on porpoising and bouncing, two separate things. They're going to gather data this weekend in Montreal. Then they will decide on a metric, brilliant, whatever that is, but they will introduce a metric based on vertical acceleration that gives a limit for what is acceptable in terms of driver safety and those oscillations, those vertical oscillations. Teams will have to comply with that number. Uh, They have obviously all the tools in their locker to do that with because they can change the setup of their cars depending on the track and ride height, etc., etc. So um, uh, team bosses from Horner to Wolf on, you know, you'd argue both sides of the of the argument, uh, both agree it's going to be really, really hard to police this and to, to have something that is clear for all the teams, how the teams implement it, how it's policed, what the penalties would be for not doing it. Driver safety is important how the FIA uh, make the clampdown work, I don't think anyone quite understands it yet. When you read this story, when you when you processed it yourself, what was your your take on this? Well, it's a bit like a cost cap part two, and it's sort of, uh, you know, whether teams might dare to stray over that and then uh, go, well, we've, we've you know, tickled the budget by 30 million, but they're not going to remove us as champions. Uh, that will, that's too much of a loss of face, so we'll deal with it. A bit like that. Um it's more the reaction is like fine because absolutely as soon as drivers health are in question then then you have to intervene I, I fully support that and it's not just a case of Hamilton saying he's had to pop a couple of paracetamol because he's got a bad back it's a bit you know to to really dumb it down it's about the brain jiggling in the skull when the when the bumps are so bad the fact that you know Russell was saying that 
he can't see his pit board when he's driving past the pit straight. You know, his brain can't keep up to correct the the the, the motions and and you know. I'm a big football fan. I occasionally follow rugby and boxing and, you know, you see what head injuries can do. And okay, this is like a a, a, a major knock, but it's lots of sustained knocks. And, and again, it's so early into these regulations, you don't know about the long-term effects. But if, and I think this is an important thing to say because it was mentioned in the FIA statement, it's on medical advice, on safety grounds, with consultation from the doctors, then you have to step in. The the, the thing I'm struggling to get my head around a little bit is the reaction. So one one point to raise is that I thought was quite in, interesting is uh, Verstappen was asked for his reaction in the press conference and he said, oh, I'm you know dead against it, rule changes mid-season, per what a load of rubbish. And Hamilton was asked about it next. And then uh, I'm not sure if this is related to Verstappen or just in general, but he said, oh, isn't it funny that some drivers say something in public behind closed doors say something completely else and then just sort of wow. left, left, let the air hang a little bit? I don't know if that was related directly to Verstappen or just his general drivers, but obviously sort of some agendas going on there. The thing I find slightly odd, and again, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, it's probably just you know me not getting my head around this bit in, in particular, but Red Bull saying this is a bad idea because it's a mid-season regulation change, but if you look at their nearest rival, it's... Uh, Ferrari. Science has been a vocal advocate of how much the car is bouncing and, and you can see it on Leclerc as well. So if Ferrari are found in foul of the metrics that the FI is suggesting and have to compromise their ride height, surely that plays really well to Red Bull if Ferrari then have to change things and, and bleed away a load of suspension. So unless Horner and Verstappen are being particularly like, you know, oh, for the good of the championship, let's have a two-way battle right to the end. I would have thought it would probably work out quite well if their, if their kit n- uh, nearest rivals got penalised. Yeah, it does seem like one of those ones where uh, they say we're going to change some rules halfway through a season. And, you know, the gut reaction to that, if you are leading the championship, is no, leave all the chairs as they are. Don't move them all around. But as you say, it's, it's such a complex issue as well. Uh, driver safety, most important. That's the FIA's job to do that and to be strong with that. You know, if you think, think back to when the halo was introduced and the FIA pushed that forward, and that was a long time coming. Lots of testing, various things, narrow screens and what have you. And there were still people saying, oh, it's going to spoil Formula One. It won't look the same. It's, you know, the cockpit's meant to be open. It's, is Formula One worse or any of the different feeder series now that you use because of the halo? No, of course not. It saved lives. So, you know, the FIA needs to be strong on this uh, for, for, for driver safety. But if something is, is changeable by just driving slower, then, I mean, it's, it's a... Look, I'll, I'll give you the last word on this, but it's really difficult. Yeah, well, it comes back to that sort of, uh, you know, around the sort of late 60s, 70s where, where where drivers were dying in a Lotus and it was that thing of, do you want a car that's a second slower and safe or, or do you want to take your risk and have a car that's worthy of the world championship and, you know, 99% of drivers would take the faster car. But I, th- I think the halo is, it's a, it's a similar point worth making that as soon as the halo existed, it had to be implemented because then if there was a head injury, when the halo exists and is sat on a worktop bench running on the car, then the accountability is 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 it's a nightmare. And I think as soon as the numbers are showing and and Hamilton reporting that in the bumps and compressions he's been subjected to ten g, and and we've got you know more sort of. Uh, 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 health experts, I suppose, uh, coming in saying, you know, look what this is doing to the discs and the driver's back. What's what's doing to the head? As soon as that evidence or that data is coming up saying this is beyond the limits, then again, if nothing's done, 
and a driver has a long-term problem because of it, an injury, blacks out, crashes, whatever it is, then the accountability is is enormous. So I'm not saying that by any means that the FIA has sort of been strong-armed or, or had, had nowhere else to go, but I think it's the only logical course of action that when you've got, you know, your measurements and and you're looking at numbers and they're coming up red instead of black or green or whatever the good metric is then then you have to intervene because if if that data exists like like, like you know to draw a bad comparison like with the Aston 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 Martin and the so-called Red Bull copy if if you're handing over all that information it transpires that yeah you have copied then then you're banged to rights and the same as if if it was to transpire later down the line that you know we knew about this we knew that there were health effects and nothing was being done then then just screwed basically so I think now now we are eight races in and a couple of tests we have the evidence uh, I, I totally understand and, and uh, understand why why steps are being taken lovely thank you very much we might have you on the Sunday podcast uh, this week uh, with Alex and Jess they're both in Montreal which is nice uh, TBC on that one otherwise uh, I presume you'll be at Silverstone British Grand Prix you must be looking forward to that in your first full year of, of being the Formula 1 uh, uh, covering that for, for Autosport it's going to be an amazing uh, British Grand Prix Absolutely. I'm lucky enough to have uh, been once before on a freebie with work and that was an incredible experience. Uh, and uh, this time around to work it, uh, get the whole band back together, which, you know, with with uh, with COVID and travel budgets and whatever, we've not all worked together. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, just a bit shame, a bit, bit, bit sad that uh, I'm a huge James Bond fan and we're now we're now between films. So we won't get any special liveries like we've had past on a Red Bull. We won't get Daniel Craig in a paddock. So uh, oh, alas, alas, but I, I'm sure I'll make do. And uh, I'm yeah, really, really looking forward to the to the event, I have to say. Brilliant. Oh, we, yeah, we can't wait for that. But let's get uh, the Canadian Grand Prix uh, under our belts. First of all, thank you, Matt Q, for joining us on the podcast tonight, tomorrow night. Um, it should be, uh, again, fingers crossed, uh, Alex Kalanokis is over there along with Jonathan Noble. Uh, like I said, Jess is there as well, joining us on Sunday night. So make sure you are tuned into our podcasts. Uh, if you can share them, leave a comment on uh, on iTunes or, uh, or even uh, leave a little uh, review somewhere, that always helps Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Build the show. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you again soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
winner. Want to look and feel better together? Team up and lose weight with Nutrisystem's Partner Plan. Partners lose more weight doing it together, up to 20% more weight than doing it on their own. Get fully prepared breakfasts, lunches, dinners, and snacks delivered right to your door. Delicious foods that are ready in minutes. Now featuring new Meals for Two. Double portion meals served up in one package and designed for weight loss. Quick to prepare and ready to share. Get Nutrisystem's Partner Plan and lose weight together. Now with with hearty inspirations dinners that control hunger for up to five hours. Exactly what you both need to feel full, satisfied, and energized as the weight comes off. Stop wasting money on diets that don't work and lose weight with Nutrisystem's Partner Plan. Get started for as low as $10 a day. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash meals right now and get a deal for two. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash meals. Expect to lose an average one to two pounds a week. Offer restrictions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.